Welcome to FYI, the four-year innovation podcast. This show offers an intellectual discussion on technologically enabled disruption, because investing in innovation starts with understanding it. To learn more, visit arc-invest.com. Arc Invest is a registered investment advisor focused on investing in disruptive innovation. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. It does not constitute either explicitly or implicitly any provision of services or products by Arc. All statements made regarding companies or securities are strictly beliefs and points of view held by Arc or podcast guests and are not endorsements or recommendations by Arc to buy, sell, or hold any security. Clients of Arc Investment Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to FYI, ARC's For Your Innovation podcast, where we talk about how the world is changing and where is it going. Today, we're joined by Gary Vaynerchuk. Gary is a serial entrepreneur. He's a five times New York Times bestselling author. He's chairman of VaynerX, CEO of VaynerMedia, CEO of Vayner Sports. He's also an angel investor. He's been an early investor in companies like Twitter and Facebook. I'm going to interview Gary with my colleague, Nick Gruss. Nick is an ARC analyst. He's our expert on all things social media, gaming, and entertainment. I'm Tasha Keeney, ARC analyst. I cover autonomous vehicles. I work with Nick on our e-commerce research. And we're so excited to talk to Gary because for those of you that know him, Gary is a visionary. He has hot takes. He's going to tell us where the advertising world is going, how social media fits in, how the creator economy fits in, and what is the future of this world going to look like. So with no further ado, let's get to Gary. Hey, Gary, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm here with Nick, who I believe is sitting in a room full of things that you've actually convinced him to buy, um, <laughs> Pokemon cards to, to wine. But really what we're here to talk about today is we'd like to know from you sort of what the future holds. What are people missing at ARC, we cover disruptive innovation, which I've, I've heard you say you think is, is just being practical yes. um, in your businesses. So as we look at this wild year in the digital economy and, and sort of look at the, the future of the ad space, we have consumers sitting at home, multitasking, using their connected TVs while they're on Twitter and other platforms. How do you think of sort of that juggling and sort of that share going forward and sort of who loses, who wins out? What is sort of the future state of that? You know, it's an interesting question given the context of who I'm making an assumption of is listening to this. As a in perpetuity owner of my own businesses with the ambition to buy the New York Jets football team, I play a very, very, very different game than a lot of the potential listeners of this show given the context, right? And so, so much of my money has been made on my ability to wait seven years for something to happen versus being held accountable for what's gonna happen in 90 days or max 500 days, right? So I'm going through this very interesting period in my life where I'm like, man, I'm definitely not so, so, so smart in comparison to all these people. I just have the luxury of knowing how to stay alive to take advantage of it when it happens. I don't think there's a single person listening right now that is confused that OTT and streaming is 100% doing to cable and network, what cable and internet did to network, what cable did to network, what network did to radio. (laughs) This is like, I mean, every single person in your and my organization and listening to this right now would probably bet the farm, the whole farm, their kids' health 
on a decade from today, things look a lot more like Disney Plus and, and Netflix and Hulu than they look like ABC or CBS or CNN. And so I think the winners are the ones that are in a financial stable position to be able to invest in streaming and take all that advertising dollars that are inevitably going to come behind it. And the losers are the ones that are romantic or financially stuck in milking what they have. I mean, it's very common sense, Fortune 500 publicly traded company logic versus reality of the speed of innovation that's happening with the internet. Meaning, if you're the CEO of Procter & Gamble and or of a a large media conglomerate out there, Epic, you know, or something of that nature where you know you're not gonna be in this seat in nine months or 18 months because you've decided for your family and yourself and you're striking all your stock options within 24 or 36 months after that day. And what you're doing is you're holding your breath and making no investments so that you can maximize your personal economics 41 months from now. But if you own the family business of Viacom, you'd never do that because you know exact, the consumer has told you what's already happening. So I think the winners are the ones who can or are, empowered by being historically correct, you know, that look at themselves as I'm going to be in this position for six years. So let me do this now. Ones that feel that they know how to manage the street to take the punch in the gut on the upfront capital they're going to have to deploy. Quibi's going to scare the shit out of people, right? Just because you have the right, just because you have the macro strategy of streaming is real. That's like me telling everybody who's listening to become an NBA basketball player because it's going to be a billion dollar contract in the future, you have to be good enough to be an NBA basketball player. So it's not just deciding to do Peacock. How well is NBC going to execute Peacock? It's not just saying that the fragmentation of OTT is upon us and the IP within it. Like tomorrow, the Kardashian family can start K and probably do quite well, but they'll have to execute as well as Kylie's beauty brand, not as well as a million other things we've seen fail, even though the ingredients are there they didn't have the cook to cook it yeah so gary there seems to be two winners in this past year you have the streaming the ott video but then also you have social media companies and they've really come on in terms of digital ad spend so when you look at smaller companies they're going to obviously be more aligned with social media it's just cheaper you're not going to have a small company being able to go to these streaming services and advertise uh, so where do you- I don't you know what's funny though Nick like you know that's yeah. actually what excites me the most brother if OTT is biddable you're going to find small businesses running commercials on friends that's a good point yeah right and like to me like the great luxury of my career at being 44 being young is I've already had real significant chapters in very small SMB family liquor store business that I grew quite a bit a very big chapter in Silicon Valley where I did a lot of smart investing. And then now really deep in Fortune 500 consumer land and B2B land. It's going to be pretty cool. Like I think of Gary at 22, knowing that Hulu ads are underpriced, running commercials for a one-store liquor store against the wonder years. That's like mm-hmm. the coolest shit ever, right? So, yeah. but to your point, I think what you're going to see is Look, I couldn't be more uncomfortably bullish on OTT and social over network and traditional. Like, I think the delta is extreme. I think common sense is the great missing anecdote of the business world. Yeah. And I think reporting and short-term financial arbitrage is why, and I see it everywhere. But yeah, I think those two platforms are gonna continue to be huge winners. And I would tell you that this year, them winning 
is not an enigma because of the political year or because of COVID. This is the preview, not the anomaly. Right. And so if you look at one of these small businesses that want to spend on streaming, OTT or social, where are you directing those dollars today? Where's the best bang for your buck in terms of platform spend? If you're a tiny, tiny business, it's LinkedIn and TikTok because they are organic reach too. Mm -hmm. So organic is something we don't talk a lot about, but it's absolutely the place where everybody fails. Fortune 50 companies deciding social media stinks because they're running an organic playbook on platforms that don't have organic reach and they haven't even tested media properly or they spend media on it like they're running television. Huge elephant in the room for everybody who's listening right now, why people don't think social's ROI positive, comma, tiny, tiny companies, Facebook. It has scale, targetability, and just ungodly proven capabilities of driving business results. Right. And so- so Facebook seems to be far and ahead of other competitors and on the social landscape, but who but in the quick, last- Just let me give yeah. you some interesting, Snap doing incredibly well for app yeah. download. Snap doing incredibly well for app. So the answer is very, very unique. If you're a t-shirt company, TikTok ads are remarkable. The big thing that nobody realizes is the number one place to advertise is 60 to 90 year olds on Facebook. Number one, if you have a business that wants to sell to 60 to 90 year olds, Facebook dismantles Fox News television, dismantles it. Mm. But yet nobody talks about that. I mean, I would, I think Facebook is one of the, you know, I'm a humongous advocate of its ad product, but I think it's one of the worst comms companies in the world. And forget about the whole like privacy thing and Zucks and all that, all the stuff that people get to of like hating it. I'm going super narrow. It has the killer product in the world if you're trying to sell to 55 to 90 year olds. And every media planner in America buys television because they're incentivized to because Facebook's harder to spend money on, meaning you need skills, you have to do fragmentation, you need a lot of creative iteration. But Facebook's a monster if you're selling retirement homes, caskets, products that sell to 55 to 90 year olds. Obviously, TikTok is a monster if you're selling to 15 to 25. Instagram and YouTube own the middle. Snapchat, if you're doing app downloads, is really attractive. LinkedIn is a monster B2B, but nobody wants to pay the $25 CPMs because everybody plays in media math, not in business math. Twitter's great for qualitative insight to hypothesis around creative. So I use Twitter a lot as a test bed for creative to see consumers' actual opinions of. This is real skill, and people continue to think of social media as an afterthought, but Fortune 500 Madison Avenue, Mad Men, and women are starting to kind of wake up, but I still think we're 36 months away from where Coca-Cola is spending 55% of its ad budget on Facebook Inc. And they will. And and you think that's going to come mostly from that linear TV ad spend? Like that seems to be the biggest bucket. I do. Yeah, I I think up front. That 70 billion is such garbage. Yeah. Like, Like it is destroying the biggest brands in the world. Now, Super Bowl is the best deal in advertising. Every brand listening right now or everybody who's got a board seat on a consumer brand, you should yell at the top of the mountains once you cross your T's and I's on my hyperbole here to do Super Bowl because the actual consumption of the ad for what you pay is remarkably cheap. Right. After you go there, TV couldn't be a worse bet. Now, every report shows it's okay because Nielsen's and Miller Brown and all these things, it's an inside game. All the MMAs internally have been built around it. Wait till the activist investors realize how much money is being wasted on marketing. 
All these activist investors have focused on like flights and printing on both sides of the paper. Wait till 3G wakes up and realizes most of their marketing goes in the garbage when they run a TV. And as you look over this past year, and you said, as we often find with innovation, things have accelerated during this difficult time. How great do you think that impact has been? You said you think like this is three years out. I'll I'll tell you why it's been so big, Tasha. It's because decision makers became practitioners during this time. CMOs sit in boardrooms and have no idea what's actually going on. There's no cans on keyboards. People don't actually know, right? And agencies are all mainly owned by holding companies who are publicly traded, who are going to keep pushing television propaganda into their clients because they make more margin selling TV than they do on Facebook. They're not incentivized. Their Omnicom's interests aren't aligned with Ford's. I'm, by the way, on the record, I have no idea if that holding company works with that brand. But, you know, so the thing that I've noticed in these nine months is getting a lot of emails and LinkedIn messages from leaders with things that basically said, I used to think you were a snake oil salesman, but now that I've had time to actually look, holy crap, how can I get more educated on this? Or, hey, can we talk? So I think more than anything, it's not even consumer behavior acceleration. It's actually decision makers education of that I think has serendipitously happened during this era. Do you think this change is permanent? Yes. Yeah. If we're talking about what we're talking about, which yeah, I think in the is digital macro, yeah, macro yeah. business, how does the ecosystem work with media brands opportunities? Yeah, I think it's permanent because I think the thing that has always worked for me is never betting against the reality of the human being. Like nobody's going back. Yeah. There is no time machines. We're not going to read print at scale. Only hipsters out of ironic behavior will. 2029 queens might read the newspaper as a niche funny thing because they're anti-establishment. There will be a wave of, and we've seen it already, of anti-digital propaganda. So you will see some interesting sub-behaviors occur, but the sheer scale of actual consumption on these 15 platforms, YouTube, Facebook, Snapchat, Spotify on audio, things of that nature, the cat's out of the bag. I'm flabbergasted other than being educated and this is where wall street sometimes gets caught other than the fact that i'm educated because i'm in it every day had i not known that it was in agencies vested interest to not allow the advancement of these products which are much more complicated to run planning execution creative media had i not been educated on this i wouldn't be able to understand why coca-cola and bmw and Procter and Unilever do what they're doing. I wouldn't understand. Nothing in my brain would be able to put the pieces together because I do know, I understand that it's not in Mindshare, the agency that does media for Unilever's interest to do a contemporary execution. Now I'm like, oh, I understand. And that is the great detriment of the iconic brands in the world, which is why you're seeing so much growth on the ankle biter brands on DTC because they're picking up market share at scale on the back of overvaluations because there's so much money being printed. And yes, their economics aren't true, but the problem is the Unilevers, the Proctors, they go out and M&A these brands and pay enormous amounts of money. Often that organ can't fit the body and it becomes a failed M&A instead of just doing what they should be doing, which is completely changing their media and creative strategies. Gary, I want to talk a bit about the other side of this, and that's the content and the content creation. You have all this money flowing into the ecosystems, and there are 
millions of people signing up to be content creators. You talk to someone who's younger, they're saying, I want to be a YouTube content creator. How sustainable is that market? How big can it grow? It follows a power law distribution. You have 10% of the people making 90% of the great content quality. So how big is that market going to be? As long as the internet is the foundational infrastructure of our society, and as long as it doesn't get over-regulated, the answer is in perpetuity until it takes all the money out of the ivory towers. Yeah. TikTok really opened my eyes this year in terms of uh, democratizing content creation. And I, I think of that as a really powerful shift in the market. Is it breaking down barriers for people to create great content? Of course. It started with Instagram and Snapchat. You started to see subtle training wheels be put on content. Mm-hmm. I would argue it, in a lot of ways it started with MySpace, which is true. But think about this, Twitter. Twitter comes along and creates a restriction because of SMS protocol and creates a 140 character game, which inherently creates a filter. So really worked for a guy like me that is very hot take driven and very kind of like good at that thing. And that's why I grew. And other people who were more long-winded really didn't even come onto the platform for a long time because they felt so suppressed by that restriction. Then you had Instagram that made everybody a better photographer literally a filter, literally just one little thing, photos, filters, and it exploded because it was training wheels to become a better creator. Then Snapchat came along, stickers, AR, right? Made people, to your answer, better content creators. TikTok infuses music, which inherently makes everybody much better. That becomes a bigger training wheel and all of a sudden people can come in. So you've seen the last half decade, decade even actually, become a game where, unlike Facebook, which was the dominant player, and even to some degree Twitter, even though that had had that restriction, the platforms that have gone on to become the next big player have given people a tool to create. And I think this will eventually lead to things that look like, what would Adobe look like if Adobe got very light and was the front end of a social network? Where this is all going is an incredible suite of tools that are very fast and lightweight that allow us to make movies, it feels like, right? You would think that YouTube, YouTube is set to put an incredible upfront production product that can really take its platform or the way to innovate and actually become the next YouTube is to be YouTube with an incredible AI, ML, or just an incredible execution of tools. This has been one big game of who can bring the most tools to make the best creative or help people that are average become better or better become great or great to become all time. Boom, boom, boom. That's what's happened for the last 10 years. Yeah. TikTok does seem to get a lot of roots from YouTube. It was just built for mobile, right? YouTube is built or YouTube was has built done, for you, And this is what we've seen. YouTube has done an incredibly bad job of innovating Like YouTube had all the permission in the world five years ago to come out with something called Y or YT or whatever the hell they wanted to call it and really build TikTok. But a lot of people try to defend the fort instead of putting themselves out of business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I want to change tunes here a bit because you do so much. One thing, and you called yourself a hot take guy. So I want to get your hot take on this topic right here. Is texting replacing email? We've seen through this. Okay. 
there we go. <laughs> a definitive answer. <laughs> yeah, and let me go. go to where I know you're going to yeah. add value because I don't think the context was, you know, I, I was a bit of a little, I'm having a little fun here. Wine text. And oh, by the way, anybody who's listening right now, if you want to learn this and make my father very happy because I built this for him, <laughs> you should go sign up for winetext.com. I built Wine Library in 1996 on the back of email. 90% open rates, no cost. Texting does cost, but texting commerce and I think what I did with wine text is really fascinating because I eliminated friction in a way that is so remarkable. So for everybody who's fascinated by what we're actually talking about, you can actually see this in the wild as a preview to what I think is going to happen at scale. Go to winetext.com and sign up. Yes, I think email as a sales channel has clearly been established as an incredible, and still to this day is an incredible infrastructure. But I do believe SMS texting has the potential to become the establishment in five to 10 years. And I've been blown away by the consumer behavior on the back of wine text. What do you think are the limits of text? Is there a wall or or sort of, yeah, what fits best within that realm? To be very honest with you, I think it's exactly like email, except we created a UI that allows you to reply with how many bottles you want. It becomes such limited friction. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's consumed. I start with attention. Common sense and attention is why I will buy the New York Jets. I start with the fact that we live in our text SMS. And then what I layer, what I've done well in my 20 years is then once I understand where the attention is, I've always been thoughtful enough to bring value to the consumer versus value to me. Where everybody loses is their content is selfish instead of selfless or at least strategic where you're bringing value and then you're asking for something in return. I think where you'll lose if you have a big SMS strategy is you're going to spam people and they're going to unsubscribe. Where you win is when you bring inherent value. And I think not only with wine techs are we bringing $80 wines for 35 bucks, which follows a Groupon model that works. And because we have the infrastructure to be able to deliver on that promise, and it's only 365 wines a year in a world where we buy tens of thousands. So you're going to get 365 ridiculous deals. Mm-hmm. We're also very focused on educating people. We have very clear quant that shows that if we only serve these seven wines, we would maximize our margin. But because I want it to be a learning tool and expanding people's palates, I'm taking less dollars up front by getting people to explore at Gewurz meters and dessert wines and champagnes. But what that's actually doing is making it a service that's educating, not just selling, which LTV wise will play out. So within even the e-commerce space, you think the limitations or there there really are no limitations for text or are there certain types of goods that will sell better inherently? Wine is the perfect well, example, right? Well, to your point, if you have a clothing item, you might have some more syntax issues where you got to talk about size and this. And there's going to be clearly, if you're selling the unit as is and there's no alterations, everything will do well. A fork, you know, a hat, sneakers, if you just reply with, if there's a cadence of size, yeah. I think the prize is gonna be so lucrative that people will innovate to eliminate the limitations. Yeah. And what about platforms like Slack? Do you see them coming into play? Like what's next after text? Look, I mean, whether it's Slack or WhatsApp or Messenger or other thing, you know, China's advantage of being a communist country, which gave those companies the ability to hold off their competition, be vertically integrated, and play politics and good innovation and just scale that is unheard. I mean, I'm so fascinated by people that don't have context on the Chinese market, whether it's live streaming or how much an influencer could sell. I mean, when I say things to people like, you know an influencer sold 
$60 million worth of this one product on one live stream, an American business person's brain breaks because they're if they're not being global about this. So I do think there's a ton of innovation in the American market. Let me phrase, outside of the Chinese market around live, I think there's a ton on that, but it's all the same game. Whether mm-hmm. you're YouTube or Spotify or Facebook, I believe all three of you, all three of those companies are in the same business. Yeah. They need to show me that they can vertically integrate with retail. I'm shocked that nobody's bought Target yet. Like I'm convinced that Facebook or TikTok or that somebody in content buys Target. I think Walmart going to the TikTok route makes a ton of sense. It's what Amazon has over everybody. I'm stunned by the big tech companies' lack of understanding that retail is a component of the stack. And so I think Target's a huge target for M&A activity from a Facebook or an Apple or a Spotify because I think retail is an actual part of the macro stack of the biggest companies in the world. And I think you can see that with Amazon's leverage. You can see that with content. Amazon Prime is a leverage point against the video product against selling on its site. Walmart's going to need to replicate that. Facebook's going to find itself. Facebook is incredible in M&A around its core strength of attention, but I think they have to integrate hardware and retail to be a full stack monster. And so I'm waiting for the companies in America to wake up to that full stack. And we've seen it with Amazon, seen it the most. Prime, Whole Foods, these are not by accidents. And I think Bezos continues to outmaneuver his competition. So how big do you think that opportunity is? We've kind of coined it as social commerce. I think that's what you're touching on here. This idea that- It's Mac, but it's Mac. You see where I'm going? I know where you're going with social commerce, live, shopping cart. It's huge. I think it extends beyond that. Think about it. If Facebook owns Target tomorrow and you're in feed and you could buy something, but you could pick it up at the register if you want, or all those locations- The answer is, I think I'm already in my mind on social commerce 3.0, which is the macro infrastructure. Like Facebook needs to own the TV, the hardware to be able to see a commercial, purchase it and have Target deliver it. Because Amazon's there. Amazon's missing one thing, a social platform. So then who in your mind is winning social commerce 1.0 or 2.0, wherever you're at or wherever at today? The human beings that are arbitraging the platforms. So the Shopify's, the Shopify drop shippers. The, yeah, exactly. The yeah. humans, not the platforms. Yeah. The platforms are fragmented. Somebody's going to M&A their way. Somebody's going to pull off the Bob Iger moment. Bob Iger figured out that the IP was the value and he went and overpaid for Lucas and Marvel only to be proven to be historically true with Disney+. Plus. Somebody of the Amazon, Google, Facebook, Inc., Snap, Spotify, I think is a sneaky competitor to all this because they can add video and boom, like... Some of those six people, seven people that have the attention are gonna add hardware and social and retail and win the game. Like Apple buying Target would make sense. Facebook, I'm stunned that Facebook hasn't gone there because they have so much to lose against Walmart and Amazon if Walmart and Amazon buy Twitter. Like there's a lot here and it's gonna go that route. So you're saying Amazon is already there in a lot of ways. Amazon's there. If Amazon goes and buys Twitter tomorrow, Mm-hmm. They've completed the loop. They're in, they're in hardware at some level with voice. And I think they should build, I think all of them should make a television, a dumb television that's just tricked out for no money, get in homes. Like to yeah. me, I'm to me, I'm buying a television and losing, I'm doing the razor and video game business where I'm losing money on the television that's mm-hmm. tricked out just to get you into my iOS. Yeah. 
But then h- how many players do you see in that ecosystem? Because it, it does seem like it has like winner takes most characteristics, three. Right. You know how it all plays out at scale, right? Mm-hmm. A and a B competing with a distance C. I think QSRs help us with that, right? McDonald's, Burger King, and there's Wendy. And then change thing will come along and chicken sandwiches matter. Like, you know, but like, so I think three feels very right. Five, if you're fragmenting it out. Hmm. So do you think it's harder to go from the social to the hardware and the other macro pieces like Facebook would have to? I think it's completely casting based on the CEO. Okay. I mean, it's money and casting. It's who has vision. Like I'm 100% positive what I'm saying is right and will play out. Yeah. And that's called vision. That's understanding consumer. That's understanding business dynamics and historical trends and pattern recognition. And mm-hmm. now it's why I've always been historically, I used to get booed at South by on my take on Bezos versus Steve Jobs. Something about the way Jeff has played always made me feel like he saw it the most. And I think they're awfully close. They're awfully close, man. They're awfully close. I, I think they do need the social. The one piece they're missing is the social component. And I think... You know, if I'm Bezos, I put up a billion dollars for internal creation and just go, or I go out and try to buy Twitter, probably. What about buying a gaming company? Because that seems to be like the new social or the next wave in social. Are these games yeah, like um, but Fortnite? Th- that, that's easier because you're buying a production company because to Amazon's point, they have Twitch. Right. Facebook when I inquired Mixer from Microsoft. Microsoft, by the other way, is the other sneaky one. I've been very impressed with the Microsoft CEO. I've been very bullish on Microsoft. I think they've been very smart. I think LinkedIn was a monster move into the thing that I talk about as that's become more of a social network. And I think they just have to innovate a little bit more. I could see them going into the hardware play heavy. With Xbox, like come out with Xbox TV or XTV if you don't want to alienate and make it too like somebody's got to create the lost leader television that's stacked with their iOS. That is the game in a lot of ways where you can do social shopping or video shopping within it. If you have the retail infrastructure, again, Microsoft launches an X television, goes and buys Target, and we're watching commercials on X television through their iOS, like a Roku or thing like that nature. And I click a button and Target's delivered. You see where this is going. Mm-hmm. It's, a, like, it's a subscription for all of your services. Correct. There's no reason not to. Yeah, it's the ultimate subscription at the end of the day. And whoever controls the person's face wins, which is why Apple's blown it, which is why I've always been down on what Cook's done. They owned this remote control and they didn't layer on top of it. And there's really two remote controls, this and the television. So everybody who's in that game, get a remote control, get to the front of the screen, and then build the stack underneath it. That is the game. That is the trillion dollar warfare. So That's, even with if Apple- I was writing, I want to write a book called Trillion Dollar Wars- with the seven logos we just said and lay out the hypothesis. I cannot wait to have this video playing in six years as a split screen of I told you so, because it's 100% gonna happen. Anyway, I have to run. I apologize for being abrupt, but I'm four minutes late for something. Love you guys. Thank you for the time. Thanks so much for for coming out. Thank you. Bye. ARC believes that the information presented is accurate and was obtained from sources that ARC believes to be reliable. However, ARC does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information, and such information may be subject to change without notice from ARC. Historical results are not indications of future results. Certain of the statements contained in this podcast may be statements of future expectations and other forward-looking statements that are based on ARC's current views and assumptions, and involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results, performance, or events to differ materially from those expressed or implied in such statements.